Hello, you're listening to Northern Stages Podcast. When we say podcast, we mean a conversation. A conversation we held on Monday the 12th of October. This week, we talked to Maria Crocker. Maria and I talk about actor-director, director-actor, and all that is contained in that combination of words. Working at the National and coming home. It's a thoroughly whizzy hour. Afternoon, everyone. Welcome to Northern Stages Podcast. Uh, this week, as always, I am joined by the constantly silent producer, Johnny. But to lighten our lives in our afternoon, we're also joined by the brilliant Maria Crocker. Hello, Maria. How are you? Hello. Yeah, I'm good, thank you. How are you, Mark? I'm good. It's been um, it's been quite interesting over the last couple of weeks, isn't it, about our region and uh, what you can and can't do. I'm sort of slightly bored with going for walks. Yeah, I, I definitely am running out of routes to explore. Hmm. Well, it's been great. It's been a fascinating conversation with you. And, uh... <laughs> <laughs> it's a great start. Great start. Anyway, so um, uh, as always, we're going to uh, spend an hour with you talking about you and what you do. Um, so for people who don't know you, who are you and what do you do? So I am a director from Middlesbrough but I now live in North Shields. Um, I was an actor before I was a director. And, oh, so and you've taken actor off your list? I think I've taken it off. Have well, you? I yeah, I haven't done it for such a long time. And I couldn't really afford Spotlight for this year. So I thought, you know, let's hope my agent's not listening to this. Um, but yeah, so, I mean, so tell I'm me about that. It. So why, so t- tell me about the process of taking actor off your list. Because we've had a conversation about this way back when, when you were more actor than director, and now you're just director. So how was how was that to um, psychologically strike actor off your list, quietly? Um, well, it's just evolved and it's just happened quite naturally. And I haven't really, haven't really thought about it. It's just all of my diary is filled with directing work and none of my diary is filled with, filled with any acting work. And it's sort of unconsciously just, I was feeling really excited about the stories I wanted to tell and uh, less excited about preparing for auditions. And this is just like where I found myself. I don't, I, I didn't sort of think when I started directing that I would stop acting, but the directing work has just sort of taken over and I'm I'm really loving it and excited by it. And who knows, maybe I'll do some acting later in life, but like for now, I'm just really passionate about making work and telling stories and living in the Northeast and, and deciding what stories I want to put on stage. Um, and, and also like, it's so brilliant because you get to choose loads of amazing actors to work with, you know. So it's it's like it's a it's a perfect pie. Excellent. Good analogy. <laughs> well um, so that's well, that's quite interesting. So you t- tell me tell me about why you're uh, so passionate about being a director and where the passion. Essentially, why do you do what you do then? Um. Why do I do what I do? Because I, I just, I, it sounds really basic, but I just love it. And I did, <laughs> I did that quiz, you know, the government's quiz about. Oh, I haven't what done you, it yet. What did you, what did you come out with? I got magistrate, which interestingly is what I actually thought about doing when I was at school, uh, or boxer. 
Hodge. Yeah. I mean, here's the thing. Yesterday, I was listening to the radio, and they were interviewing people, and essentially, this is a tangent, sorry, um, like loads of people <laughs> have been told to be boxers because yeah. it's such a sort of um, regular, I mean, it's a more regular income, I imagine, than the sort of stuff we do, being a boxer. I mean, why be a boxer? I'm not, I'm not, I'm not sure, but I, I also don't know, like, because I didn't answer any questions about my sort of physical well-being in the quiz so I, I wondered how they sort of jumped to that conclusion about that I'd be a really good boxer but I'm not going to retrain as either of those things um I'm going to still try and be a director for as long as humanly possible um but why do I love it just the variety I love how every day can be really different and Every project is really different and demands different things of you um, and your skill set. I love working with so many amazing artists and getting to be in the minds of like properly brilliant writers and um, designers and sound designers. And the the sort of the moment when all that comes together, um, I just think that it's just like, there's not there's no feeling like it it's it's just all of those months of planning and then finally the things that you've all been talking about is there in front of you and it's alive and it's like living and breathing is just like such a massive buzz um and you and you I also love teaching like I'm doing loads of teaching and I think that feeds into directing as well like the the young people that I work with I learn so much from them about making theatre and like they give me so much energy and I learn so much about the world through their eyes. And it really makes me want to just put their stories on stage and make sure that they've got a voice. Um, and I think when you're an actor, you are definitely part of doing that, but you aren't you aren't necessarily looking at the bigger picture. Um, you're looking at one aspect in that, in that world. And I, I just... I love zooming out and looking at the bigger picture and thinking about who the story's for and uh, what audiences it might meet and the different ways it could meet them and what lens you want to, you know, put that story through and why and how and like how to put the impossible on stage and how to like lift people's hearts with joy and make them cry and like give them a properly good night out at the theatre or wherever the, wherever the performance is. Like, I just love doing that. Sounds like a good job. <clears throat> um, what have you learned about yourself as an actor being a director? Um, <laughs> how to take direction better? No, uh, well, probably. I... I have learned that the director has got a lot of things in their heads all the time and that they're not just thinking about your bit. Um, and so like sometimes it's really good to work those things out on your own, which I, I, I used to think that I did, but maybe looking back, I could have probably done that a little bit more and taken a little bit more responsibility. But then I think that's also, that comes with experience as an actor, like you do start 
you start having the confidence to do that and to work with the director in, you know, like I think about coming out of drama school and sort of wanting the director to give me all the answers, even though that's not kind of what they tell you you should be doing, but secretly wanting them to give me all the answers. And, and then the more you do it and the more you sort of learn how to fix things yourself. And I think, you know, when you work with those actors as a director, it's like, it's a proper gift, isn't it? Because, you know, that, takes a little bit of a load off your plate and it's not to say that that's making you a lazy director but it just makes the process a little bit more efficient and and it's also really joyful to to be given those offers and see what comes in and like to be surprised by your actors um and that like the the vision of the piece can is like can shift and is a malleable malleable thing and, and it can move and those actors in the space of uh, like you, you, they can change your mind about a lot of things, um, and I think that's really exciting. And I sort of wish I'd known that a little bit more when I was an actor, because um, it would have maybe would have made me a bit more playful sometimes. I mean, I think you're brilliant, Rosalind. Um, so mm. I think you sort of do yourself a little bit of a disservice there, Maria Rocker. Um, <coughs> and on that, what has a being an actor taught you about being a director? Uh, I think being an actor it taught me loads about audiences and that like relationship that act- performers and an audience have in that space um, and how, how you can manipulate that whilst you're on stage and how you can, um, you can feel it and you know when you need to like, work a bit harder or you're working too hard and and you need to warm them up or that they're like really rowdy and you need to like cut through that a little bit and I think that's that that like I think physically feeling that experience as an actor has like helped me so much as a director in terms of being able to have those conversations with actors um but also just you know, you can feel it in an audience when you're sat in that audience, but I think it's a, it's a, it's a different conversation when you're up there and you're dealing with it um, and there's, like, nowhere to hide. So that was, like, super useful. Um, what else? Probably loads of things. I just can't think of them right now. <laughs> when you talk about the, the buzz of it all coming together... Uh-huh. Um, and this is probably more question for me than anybody else. Um, how long does that buzz last for you? So you've you've had you've had nine months of or twelve months of planning. You've been through so many different conversations. You've you know you've rehearsed it. You've teched it. You've like it happens. How long does that buzz last for you? Because I know as a performer, when I used to perform, obviously you continue and carry that on, and it ebbs and flows in mm. it depends on what your audience is like or what how you're feeling that night how long does that buzz last for you of something that you've created uh it it still lasts a long time but I think it's just there in a different way like there's a little bit that's in your heart I mean I suppose it depends like how you feel about the show ultimately but like if it's a show that you're really proud of I think that you carry that with you and I think you carry a little bit of that through all your next projects and um, I think 
you know, I just like the, the last show that I made was um, I did Sondheim's Assassins with the third years at Mount View, and like you know that we had such a brilliant time making that show, and I think because it was the last one that I did, and then the world stopped. Um, I, I'm still carrying a little bit of that, like in in my body, just knowing that I think holding on to the fact that I will make another show at some point, and like. And thinking about all those students who were due to graduate and didn't get the showcase and didn't get to, you know, and just that felt like a really special time to make that show with those um, amazing performers. Um, and and yeah, and I think you sort of collect them up and then they're going, they're, they're stored somewhere somehow and you carry them around and then there's the ones that you feel less proud of and probably think of a little bit less. Um, but I think... It's a different buzz from being an actor because that's very much like alive and present and in the moment and it's it's there and it's happening and you can't you can't get away from that. But I think uh, as a director, it sort of follows you around in a different way. Uh, another one about <clears throat> so it's 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 first night. Uh, you're sat at the back or sat in the middle or sat at the front, whatever you sit, watch your show. How do you cope with having no control? Because you've I mean, had control of a room in in some in some sense for four or five weeks, you've you know, and I'm not saying like control in a dictatorial sense, but you know, and then you go, uh, good luck everyone, you take your seat. How does it feel when you watch a piece of work you've created for the first time in front of an audience? I think it's something that you get better at, but I can distinctly remember the very first piece I ever directed was at York Theatre Royal in the studio space. And I have never, ever been that nervous in my whole entire life. Like, I was I was physically shaking and I... I, I, I just don't know why I was... I, I just didn't expect to be that terrified. And then when it was actually happening, I was like, oh my God, why am I so nervous? <laughs> um, and it was, and I can really remember it. I remember being sat on the end of the row and I like could barely write any notes because I was just so like terrified that something was going to go wrong and that I couldn't fix it. Um, and it was fine and it was great and they did a brilliant job. And and but and I think that feeling never really goes away. I mean, it, you, I think you get better at, handling it and like sort of get a bit more used to it but and ultimately if you've done the work that you should have done in rehearsals then that, that also really helps I think you sort of know you know when a show is not ready to be put in front of an audience and that is like that is not a good feeling but I think when you feel pretty confident in the work and like you know the performers are ready to meet an audience then then it's it's exciting. It's it's you know, and and some things will go wrong inevitably in the first show, especially if it's quite a technical piece. But it's yeah, it, it's still nerve wracking. It really is. <laughs> um, when you talk about the work that you should have done in the rehearsal room and before that, that sort of um, leads me on in my unbrilliant way to the next question, which is <laughs> tell us about your process and how it's evolved and evolving and on that more specifically the work mm. you should have done in rehearsals or pre-rehearsals or during rehearsals how does your room run what happens in it so the 
big thing that I'm thinking about at the minute is listening and trying to be really good at listening all the time. And I think I, I work really collaboratively and, and I really enjoy that. Um, but I'm trying to sort of interrogate my, my own process a little bit. And I think the thing that I can improve on is my listening skills. And, and that's like with everybody at all times. And just sometimes I think when you are directing a show and it's really busy and there's a lot to get through and you know that you need to hit page 25 by, you know, Friday afternoon, you can sometimes your brain can sort of stop listening, listening a little bit to what's actually going on in front of you in the room. and. I think I'm just trying to like kick that habit and and to always have my ears turned on um, as well as trying to be efficient and hit those sort of um, points that you need to get to. But I think my process in terms of like a, a sort of standard way into a show would be it, it always starts with loads of research, loads and loads and loads. Um, I, and I love that bit. Um, if it's a new piece, it'll start with a big old massive conversation with the writer. Um, again, and so I then what happens bit. in that conversation then? I mean, I know they're all very specific, but like what happens in that uh, big conversation? I think to start off with the writer, it's just about getting to know them. And it's like less about the play and it's more about understanding them and who they are and creating a, a sort of safe environment to be able to then talk about the play in and to have a coffee and to see what they're watching on telly or what they're reading. And that is all like key to a, a positive collaboration, I think. Um, and then dig into the text and have those conversations. And sometimes they're quite difficult conversations, but um, it's it's gotta be personal first, I think. Um, and then, once I've done all of that research or dramaturgy or work or whatever that is, then I'll do loads of preparation. So I, I, I'm, I'm quite an efficient person in, in, in life. Uh, and that has also fed into my directing process. So I love, I love a plan and I love like a spreadsheet um, so that I know like how many pages I need to do a day or whatever that is. Um, if it's a musical, I uh, will storyboard it. I'll storyboard the numbers. So if there's a big number where lots of bodies are on stage, I'll storyboard that out so that when I meet with the choreographer, I can sort of give a vague, give them a vague idea of how many bodies they'll have to play with and like where-ish on stage they kind of need to, to end up or start or, you know, and it's all like, a draft and it all can change and it will change but I I like to be able to like have something visual to look at um for those conversations um and I try to squeeze every second out of a process without it feeling like total hard graft so just to be like super conscious of planning and working with the stage manager um really closely to make sure that no time is being wasted um and that everybody's being used when they can be um and then also in terms of like actors just making sure that we can build a brilliant ensemble and there's space and how do you do that 
Foursquare. <laughs> of course. Foursquare is just a brilliant, my favourite game. Uh, I think just, again, like, building that trust and in the same ways with the writer, just getting to know, getting to know them and, like, having a bit of a play and creating a, a space that feels okay to get things wrong and to give things a go and um, a space of encouragement and uh, a space of listening, again, I think is just so important. And then I like to work quite physically. So I come from quite a physical background, like did lots and lots of dance, still work as a dance teacher um, at the minute. And I think it's good to get actors really sweaty and build that trust and... um, and explore the text in a physical way because I think sometimes I do like doing text work um, and I, I find it really helpful, but I, I I can't do it for too long. I like to get get up and busy in the space. Um, and then I'll do a rough sketch of the piece and then I'll do a, a sketch again with loads more detail looking at... I suppose, I suppose the first sketch I do is just rough to sort of meet the play or the musical. The second sketch is about like finding the truth in it with, so working with the actors and and finding some, making sure that it feels truthful. Uh, And then the third sketch is more for me and it's about pinpointing, making sure that I'm telling the right story, like visually on stage um, throughout and that the energy and the focus is in the right place. So that one's more about detail, if that makes sense. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, it makes lo- loads of sense. Like, absolutely, like, loads and loads of sense. I'm just yeah. listening to you talk, thinking about, like, me, because I'm selfish. No, I'm just listening to <laughs> you talk, thinking about, you know, how I can't do the sketchy bit, and I always wanted to be able to do the sketchy bit, but I can't sketch it. I've got to, like, go from, like, I just can't do it. And I'd really love to be able to sketch something in. Uh, and I think everybody else would, but I can't do it. And I wonder <laughs> how you have come to enable that on yourself. And I know that you've been on quite an amazing and extraordinary journey over the last, what, four or five years, maybe longer, with the people that you've met, the, the stuff you've worked on, the places you've been. And I think, like, as a story from the Northeast, I think it's absolutely fascinating. So I, I just want to sort of dig into that a little bit about how those multiple rooms you've been in with like really amazing creatives have shaped your process. Yeah. I mean, I'll just answer your thing about sketching. I think that comes from, because I, I sometimes work as a movement director and like choreographer and you, as uh, and I sketch everything out when I'm having to work in that way. So I think I've sort of like transferred that skill into directing and that that's sort of where that has come from um but in terms of uh i suppose all my you're talking about assistant and associate work assistant and associate yeah yeah so it's i mean it started at northern stage you know my first assistant directing job was with rachel chavkin uh on catch 22 and that was rachel chavkin is so Rachel Chavkin is an American director, um, artistic director of uh, Brooklyn-based company, the th- the team, and she's she's brilliant, <laughs> and I think she's just 
fantastic and I love her work and um she's kind she's been a bit of a mentor to me ever since ever since that assistant job and then recently I've just worked with her again as her associate on uh, Hades Town at the National um which is on Broadway at the minute um so she, she's been a sort of a, a massive influence in in my career and she was the person that told me she thinks I'd be a really good director and that I should think about really doing it um, seriously. And so I'm really grateful that she said that because uh, she, she was right, I think. Um, but uh, yeah, so that's, and that's where it all started. And I actually now work for the JMK as their regional coordinator for Northern Stage and for the Traverse. So it's like a lovely kind of full circle journey that I've been on there as well and I'm I'm really passionate about training opportunities for for directors because there there actually aren't many at all um but that's a side note uh so then I I sort of started doing some more assisting worked with um Grayscale Theatre Company with Selma in the northeast um and had a brilliant time working with them and got to go to like some international festivals which was fantastic and worked with brilliant actors uh, and then what did I do after that I think then I maybe did Pinocchio at the National uh, staff director um which John Tiffany directed and I think then I did Mood Music at the Old Vic and then maybe worked headlong as an associate there and then back to the national to do Hades Town. I think I've missed some out, but... I mean, like, um, you've sort of, like, skittered, like, lightly through that, like a, I don't know... Yeah, you're like... And I think, you know, I just did this, then I did that, and then, you know, national, Vic, uh, the team, you know, and uh, I'm just interested about how you did that. Like, how did that happen? And it might be a combination of multiple things, but I'm quite fascinated by this. And also about, uh, as you mentioned in the GF, GF, GMK, about opportunities, especially opportunities for Northeast directors, artists, like, because, yeah, you've done a huge amount of high-profile work. And I wonder if you had any top tips to share with people about how that's come about. Uh, well, I'm actually doing a workshop about this on the 22nd of October for well, JMK, if anyone would like to come along. Well <laughs> um, it's full, but there is a wait list. Um, uh, all, of the jo- all of those jobs had an application form um, and an interview attached to them, apart from Hades Town, uh, because that was uh, working with Rachel again and we had sort of a pre-existing relationship there. Um, so... I didn't have any relationship with Headlong. I didn't have any relationship with the old Vic. Um, I just applied and I just worked really hard on my applications. And I think the thing is, like, although there was those successful applications, I can't tell you how many unsuccessful ones there were. Like, I must have written, you know, God... 100 I want to say 100 I don't know I've just made that up but like look absolutely loads of um rejections and and still get rejections all the time um I I think so then what was the secret ingredient you've written 100 you've written 100 applications they've been rejected and then you hit 
this bit of pay dirt that allows you to open doors and and what was the bit of pay dirt? I think there was a bit of a shift in terms of like confidence and just really you know I thought I'd go to I naively thought I'd go and work at the National and it'd be all really different to the work that I'd maybe done previously more locally and it was exactly the same and I think that was like a light bulb moment for me going oh there isn't some sort of magic ingredient here that you have to have to be able to work for these high profile um you know organizations it's like you've got all the things you need you you just there's like you you just need to get better at it and I think that was like a big shift in my brain of just starting to to believe in yourself I mean god when I was at school if anyone had said to me if I'd said to my school I'm going to be a theatre director they would have just like laughed like that's not that's you know that's not a real job um and like, and I still sort of think I carried that with me, you know, till, I mean, I think I still carry it now, like thinking, God, I'm so privileged to to be able to say that I'm a theatre director, like how lucky am I? And sometimes I don't even feel like one, but I still feel really lucky to, to have this as a job. Um, and I think, and I, and I don't necessarily think you need to go to London to, to have that light bulb moment. I think it could have happened, you know, it was just that particular job. I realized, It was on Pinocchio and I just thought, yeah, this, the, 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 the skills of making theatre are the same skills that you would use in any theatre for any audience. It's just about how you use them. And some organisations have like loads more money than others and sometimes can do a bit shinier bigger things than others but essentially like we're all telling stories and those skills are those skills are the same and I think that that was a massive help in terms of my applications and then going to interviews and feeling confident in myself and in the work that I'd made um like up here with the letter room and other pieces that I directed um and just feeling brave enough to 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 say the work I've made's been really good, and this is why I think it is, and this is the the work I'm now wanting to make. And um, but I did really work hard on the the applications themselves. Like every single one, I would put a lot of hours into in terms of, and I think this is kind of a, a tricky thing because I'm not sure that. You know, all of that time is is unpaid, and there's, there's in terms of access, I, I don't, I'm not sure that's the most efficient way. I mean, you can do video applications a lot of the time now, and that's great because also some people find it much easier to talk about their work than they do write about it. Um, but the applications do take up a long time, and I do think that's a bit problematic. But that's also a side note. Um, what was I saying? You were just talking about how you did it. The uh, Oh, yeah. but I, And I also think it's really specific to the project. So some of the things that I was rejected for was absolutely right. Like I should have been rejected for them because there was somebody else that was better, a better fit for that job. Um, and I think that's also part of the jigsaw puzzle is like, 
being a bit selective on which jobs that you really do want to do and not just sort of going like broad brushstrokes. Um, I'm just going to apply for everything, which I used to do. And then I slowly sort of started reading it in and just, just spent the time on the applications that I thought this, I need this job now and I know why I need it now. And I think then you are able to answer the application questions in a, in a, in a, in a really strong way because you can build a really strong argument as to why they should give you that job. Where do you, where do you find all those opportunities then, Maria? Um, like if you had, um, I don't know, your workshop is on the 22nd of October, which, um, but I think in this, um, where do you find them all? Because I think you're right about a number of different things you've spoken about there and uh, not applying for everything, but maybe because you applied for everything, it allowed you to be get better at your application writing process. Um, and I think, again, about putting opportunities in front of Northeast creatives, like where, do you've, where did you begin to dig into the space where you found these opportunities that you could apply for? Um. There's, there was some really good, like the JMK mailing list was really good. That sends out directing opportunities. Um, I used to be on Twitter a lot more than I am now. Uh, and often you can like, you know, things get shared around on Twitter a lot. Um, although I try to avoid it these days. Um, and then just signing up to the mailing list of all the theatres that you're interested in working in, because as soon as anything comes out, then you'll you'll be the first to know about it. So I just signed up to, like, you know, and also there's there's like, there's the the ones that come out every year, which um, you can just do a little bit of research into, and they tend to come out at the same time. And then there's other ones that are sort of a little bit more um, variable that you just have to keep an eye on. But generally there's schemes like if you look at the RTYDS or um, what else, uh, the Young Vic, um, their mailing list is really good in terms of sharing opportunities. So there are kind of quite simple ways of keeping up to date with things if you do want to avoid social media. Um, but also if you want to be on Twitter, then it's all on there. <laughs> Um, you, you mentioned briefly about sometimes you don't feel like a director. Um, do you ever deal in imposter syndrome? All the time. Yeah. <laughs> All the time. I always think I'm quite a confident person. And actually, when you start like thinking about that, you realise that actually you just got really bad imposter syndrome and maybe you're just pretending to be confident. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, I do. I think like... I think it 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 changes and it surprises you and it it can it can happen when you really least expect it and then sometimes you can go into a meeting and it doesn't arrive at all and it's really difficult to know when it's when it's going to show its head um but I think everybody gets it I, I think well, to some degree don't they and I think you just have to learn to to like to not listen to it as much as possible it's really hard but I think yeah it's really hard I don't I don't know what the answer is to imposter syndrome I wish I knew but just trusting like trusting do you think gut. it's a cultural thing do you think it's a northeast heritage thing or do you think it's no I think it goes beyond that I, I, I do think it's like really prominent 
uh, in the northeast. But I, I don't think it's like I, I think it goes way beyond that. I think people from all walks of life um, have imposter syndrome for various different reasons, and um, I, I think everyone's sort of fighting a little inner turmoil most of the time. <laughs> for like whatever that might be. Um, but I think that's why the listening is really important and that's why I'm trying to be better at it because you, you just don't know what is going on inside somebody's head. And like, if if we're going to be better at access and diversity, then we've got to be better at listening. Uh, God, I didn't really think I was going to talk about listening so much today, but... That's great. It's absolutely brilliant. That's, that's where we're going. Brilliant. Yeah, great. That's good. I'm loving it. Um... Uh, again, uh, I know this is sort of all the questions I've asked you so far haven't really been on the questions I sent you. <laughs> so, <laughs> no, so you're, you're, you're dealing with this in an absolutely amazing way. Um, so um, tell me what it was like on your first time that it was your room, you're, you're in charge. Um, this sort of links to the last question a little bit, but I remember the first time I actually directed something. The first day was great. First day was brilliant. After that, it was a total shit fest <clears throat> of pain and anguish. And uh, and I learned so much from it. But what's it like when you've got to essentially run that room, have all the conversations over lunchtime, like... How does your brain cope? And also the fact that you don't stop thinking about it like for months and months and months and months and months. So like, what was it like the very first time where that sort of like you went, oh God, yeah. Or do, were you always aware of that, that it was going to be that level of responsibility? I, um, when I first started directing, like when I was in drama school, I had no idea what I was doing. I just said I was a director and then <laughs> just made it up. And I think like in a way that was quite good because there were, I didn't put any pressure on myself and like I just sort of did what, I didn't know what the rules were and I knew what the rules were for acting. So I was sort of working in those parameters, but I didn't really, you know, I don't think I did any prep before I just went to the first day thinking, well, we'll just, we'll direct a play. Um, but it was, it, in a way, I think that was actually the sort of one of the best ways to start because it was really joyful. And the other actors in the room also, we were all at this, you know, we were all at drama school, so it didn't really matter. Um, but we were all passionate about putting on a play and wanted to make it happen. And, and it was really enjoyable and we took a show to the Edinburgh Fringe and it like actually did weirdly really well and and got some all right reviews, some really bad reviews I think it got as well probably. Um, but it was a nice experience. And then I think it didn't actually start getting scary until I'd sort of decided that it was something I was seriously gonna do because then I think you start then putting that pressure on yourself going, well, am I good enough to do it? Do I actually know what I'm doing? Like, I haven't trained for this. Like, why should I be a director? Why why should I not just enjoy being an actor and just try and be good at that and do one thing? Um, but there was just this thing that would just never go away and I just had to follow it. And I think 
directing, I remember directing growth for Northern Stage and not having any idea what to do with that play <laughs> at all. And just thinking, oh God, you know, the play's, it's a, it's a, you know, the play's good, got some like lovely actors to work with and just knowing what to do with the actors, but struggling in terms of like the thing that, that makes it my production. So I knew how to bring the scenes to life. I knew what to, I knew how to get the best work out of the actors, but I, I, I was struggling to just put my stamp on it, I suppose. Um, but I think that that was a really great experience because then I, I started thinking about that question lots and what what that meant and and thinking about other directors and how they did that and then went on this massive journey of learning and have uh, sort of come to a point now where I feel quite confident in being able to know how I would approach something or put it on stage or um, or at least attempt to and see what happens. Um, but but I remember thinking some of some of the, I think I probably rang you and was like, I don't know how to start the play. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how to get the actors on stage. Like I don't know what to do in the, in the transitions. Like. And if, if I just had to fix one bit of it and I wasn't in the director's seat, I think it would have been really easy. I'd be like, oh, well, yeah, just get those chairs. We'll do that. They're, they're, they're brilliant. We'll put on that. Great. And we'll light it like this. But I think when you've got the responsibility of like the overall piece, then it all sort of starts just to become, it just feels scary and it feels um, like you have to have all the answers. And actually that's that's not, that's not true like it is actually bit by bit and piece by piece and learning as you go and getting things wrong and not having the answers and using your team and collaborating and using all the brains that are in the room to 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 get the best work out of everybody possible um but that that just comes with like doing it doesn't it like yeah and I think it comes with doing it and listening as you're saying because I think uh-huh. sometimes you, you stop listening to yourself because yeah. you front foot all of those problems and actually you don't give you yourself any space or time to actually think about uh, I mean Lon Campbell had a got a great piece of advice um from I think David Land from the old Vic um he said uh he was ringing about something and David Land said to him what would Lon do <laughs> and so every time I'm in a pickle I always go what would Mark do and I think that allows me to listen to me <clears throat> Yeah, I, I went through a stage of thinking, what would Rachel Chavkin do? <laughs> <laughs> and, and that helped. Um, but I sh- yeah, I mean, definitely asking myself would be a, a better person to ask because she can't fix it for me. But, um, but I think also working as an associate's really helped flex that muscle because you, you have to work like incredibly hard and you manage a lot of that schedule stuff and you have lots of meetings and you know you you are really busy if it's on a big sort of commercial show like you know Hades Town I think I was on tech in tech week and preview week I think I was in the theatre till like two o'clock in the morning typing up notes and then being put in a taxi home and being back in the theatre for like 10 o'clock to start, well, probably half nine to get everyone's notes there to, on their desks to, to crack on. You know, it's like 
hard work and it was it was a pleasure and a privilege to do it because I loved the team and I loved the cast and it, it was a brilliant show to work on. But I think those experiences as, as an associate has really prepped me um, as a director uh, to, to, to be able to handle like all of those things all at once, which, which is what you have to do when you have to have those meetings on lunchtimes and, you know, you've got to answer lots of questions constantly. Um, but, and then that's what I've really taken from doing the associate work and, and being efficient is, is the other thing and like squeezing everything you can. Cause especially when, you know, those shows are really big and expensive. Like you can't lose time because you don't have it. And, and it's always a push anyway. So you just have to constantly have your eye on that, that ball of going, right, who's free? Who, where's the spare space? Right, let's go and go and rehearse that dance or go and rehearse that scene. And I think having that sort of muscle switched on in my head is, has been brilliant. And, and certainly when we were rehearsing Assassins early in, earlier in the year, you know, like they were all working all the time, super hard and, and we, we all ended up being really proud of the, the thing that we, we'd made and it was a really big team effort and um yeah it, it I think being an associate is tough sometimes because you desperately want to be directing it and like that's the thing that you want to do and that's what you're driving towards in your career but I think if you can sort of switch your brain and, and think about the positives you can take from it in that moment and like all the brilliant things that you get to learn and the incredible people that you get to work with. And uh, there's, there's so many fantastic things about being an associate. If I think if you're on the right project and you're working with the right team, I know that in if, if those things aren't quite right, it can be quite a difficult position to be in because you're sort of like in between like things and that's, quite hard to navigate and to manage but I think when the team's right and when you're the right fit then it, it can be such a, a joyful and incredibly useful learning experience. Um, you mentioned uh, about um, putting your stamp on it so for an audience what is your stamp like what, what can an audience expect from a, a Maria Crocker show? Uh, I've been thinking about this a lot recently and I think every time I watch Gogglebox I think I really want my theatre to feel like Gogglebox <laughs> which probably sounds ridiculous but it's I not, feel I like I it's kept me sane during, during lockdown me absolutely. too like me too and I think it's brilliant because it's got so many different uh, voices in there and they're really like honest and it's really responsive to the world around them and it's really funny and then you can be laughing and then in like two seconds later you're crying and you just you know you can go through like a whole wave of emotions but essentially you come out and feel like that was a really good hour that I've just spent and and if I can make theatre like that I'll be really bloody happy yeah, so that's 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 my sort of aim. Make theatre like Gogglebox. Um, I mean, obviously, I, I I do 
enjoy the magic of theatre and like <laughs> want there to be some magic in there too. But I, I, I think Gogglebox sometimes has a bit of magic. I just love the relationships and I love how you um, spend time with those people and like the connections that you make with them. And, you know, if if you can find that connection between your audience and your characters, then like you're doing pretty well, I think. Yeah, totally. I mean, don't get me wrong. I went away from Gogglebox for years and during the last... Well, then we've been doing this pandemic thing. It's a thing that I absolutely, absolutely love. <laughs> me too. It really makes me, like all the things you described, but what your theatre should be and wants to be and could be is definitely the thing that I also feel. And when I watch that, I definitely come away from it at the end of it feeling lifted and yeah. go, it's fucking Gogglebox on Channel 4. And, I know. But still, it's absolutely a thing of joy. Yeah. More often than not. Um. That's a that's a absolutely I think the best answer I've ever heard in the twenty six weeks of interviewing people. <clears throat> um, so, um, uh, what have you been doing <laughs> uh, in the last twenty whatever it is? I can't I've lost count. I'm, I I used to give it weeks. I can't be bothered. Um, no. What have you been up to, Marie Crocker? Some of you've been um, busy, been doing some amazing things and other things. Well, I've been doing loads. I tell you what, I spent a long time feeling really helpless because I am freelance and don't work for an organisation. And I found myself like really wanting to support or like to be part of a, I don't know, a community or um, to feel like I was doing something that made a difference or um, to at least be kind of part of conversations. Um, and, and I wasn't because I was just in my flat and uh, like didn't have a like job. So I'd, I, found, I found it like quite tough and, and I did feel really, really helpless as an artist because I just didn't know where to put my energy and I, I've got so much energy all the time that when you just, then you just stop. I mean, I ha- my diary was full until like next, like 2021 end of summer, like back to back and, and then it all just disappeared. And and I just felt like completely lost. Um, but then, I sort of started to like get my mojo back and was like, right, started reading some plays, like all the plays that I've wanted to read for ages, but haven't had time to. And that's been really brilliant. And I have to say that Headlong, I'm one of the Origins Associates at Headlong and we've done weekly meetings with them, um, with the other directors. And it's that's been like a proper lifeline. It's been fantastic. Um, and we've done some workshops and things like that. Um, so that's been great and massively valued uh, in my week. And then I put on Twitter about um, if anyone fancied, because I was getting a bit bored of reading plays and just hearing them in my own voice, in my head. Um, so I sort of tweeted to say, anyone fancy just reading a play, thinking I might get a couple of mates just and we'll we'll read them on Zoom. And then it just sort of went a bit mad and I think, there's like 150 actors from the northeast that have now sort of 
been involved and um the we've read i think we've read eight or nine plays and then we've got another one this month and we're doing a christmas one in december so we can all wear our crimbo jumpers um but that's been brilliant and and actually you know it was it was just about hearing some plays out loud but then we started reading some classic plays and and we read um antigone and medea and we read we read thornton wilder's our town and and hearing all those plays in northeast accents was like really illuminating and exciting and i mean i know there's loads of talent in the northeast um of course there is but like just having a weekly reminder of that on a tuesday night uh, while I drank a glass of wine and listened to these incredible plays read by these incredible people was just sort of massively inspiring and and has been a real joy um, and a pain in the bum to organise but like also worth it uh, so that's that's pr- properly kept me going um, and then I've done like little bits of R&Ds and like bits of directing and stuff like that. And the JMK workshops online through the, through the summer have been like brilliant. And we've had some amazing people come and run sessions for us. Rebecca Frecknell did a really brilliant one. Um, so she- that's, oh, she's just some director. She's, oh, yeah. she's pretty good. Yeah. Uh, she's really brilliant and lovely. Yeah, she um, is. <clears throat> And so that's been great, but like, yeah, the play ranges have been very, very inspiring and loads of walking. I've done so much walking. I'm sick of walking, um, but you know, it's walking is good, isn't it? You can't Just kind of mean, honestly, it. I am fat as butter. I mean, I was being <laughs> fat as butter, but I mean, <laughs> so I need to do some walking. Um, but still, I mean, I even bought myself, I mean, I spent the first eight weeks of this like running every day. <clears throat> I was running a machine and then wow. was, then just hasn't, I mean, that was 20 weeks ago. Yeah. Anyway, um, so I, I think your play reading thing has been absolutely amazing and um, it's been so good to see some joy on Twitter because of it. And so like, like all power to you, Maria Crocker. Um, so I'm going to bring this to a close, even though it's been, I think, yeah, like properly great. Um, so you've mentioned Gogglebox. Uh, what else have you been watching or reading or doing or beyond walking and goggle box in the last 20 somethings? Uh, my guilty pleasure mm-hmm. is Dinner Date on ITVB. T- ITVB. Um, I'm not ashamed to admit that. Horrible. that. Oh, it makes me feel sick. I can't watch it. I love it. it. I love it. Sometimes it's so unbelievable. I love the awkwardness. It's a car crash. I-, I can't do car crash TV. I love it. Um... I watched the whole series of Spooks. <laughs> oh, yeah. All 10 series. That was really great. Um, that kept us going for a good few weeks. Uh, what else have I been doing? I've been reading this brilliant book about how to um, make the perfect American musical because uh, I'm making a musical at the minute and that's that's been, like, really helpful. Um, what else have I been doing? Loads of hot baths. Uh, <laughs> I've not done a lot, to be quite honest. I, I mean, play readings has been. I've I've just read so many plays that I've always wanted to read, and I sort of just could never f- f- squeeze them in. And I've just I've just read loads, and that's been 
that's been really lovely. Maria Dawn Crocker. Um, I hate it when you use my middle name. I know, but you use it on Twitter, so I can't help it. Um, <laughs> thank you so much for an absolutely fascinating hour. Uh, I can't thank you enough and uh, for your honesty, for your integrity and for your absolutely brilliant brain. So thank you so much. Appreciate it. You're very welcome. I hope there is something interesting in there. <laughs> oh, it's all interesting. Uh, and Good. thank you so much and uh, goodbye. Goodbye. Our thanks to Maria Dawn Crocker for that hour of goodness. I'm so impressed by what Maria has achieved through determination, work ethic and Teesside truth. Thank you too to the unspeaking auteur that is producer Johnny, aka Johnny Rothwell, for editing the podcast, to Mark Melville for soundtracking and to Chris Clayton Scott for doing all the work to get it to you. Finally, thank you for taking the time to listen. We really appreciate it. Please do take a look at the show notes with links to all the resources and websites that we talked about. And also, if you want to subscribe or leave us some thoughts, you know what to do. Thanks again. Doodle pip.